0: This is sabrina monarch and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution i'm an evolutionary astrologer a clairvoyant and a thought leader and i started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development Hello, I'm back. I am offering the forecasts again in audio and video version on my YouTube channel and Magic of the Spheres podcast. I was gone for a few weeks there to focus on getting my book out, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers, that novel uh, that I've been telling you about. It's now out, and I'm leaving the link in the notes if you want to order your copy. When I was recording this on YouTube, as I started to talk about Mercury retrograde, as it were, um, my Zoom went in and out and got disconnected a few times. I mostly edited that out um, of this version for the podcast. So just just an FYI, because you'll hear me talking about it, but it may not. You're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Because I conveniently edited it out here. Anyways, I'm so happy to be back. I'm happy to be sharing with you about this uh, potent full moon eclipse in Sagittarius. I'll just get right to it and leave you to the forecast. Welcome. This is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for May 26th to June 1st, 2021, and I am back from my very short YouTube hiatus because The Garden of Sleeping Hammers. My fiction novel is now out. I was taking some time off to focus on the finishing touches um, around, you know, getting that ready as well as just settling and kind of taking a breath from having moved twice um, in the last two months or so. So I'm back. Uh, very excited to be here and excited, you know, to be back on video um, to connect with those of you who follow on YouTube or those of you who listen on Magic of the Spheres podcast. Though, do know you can always find written versions of the forecast at monarchastrology.com. So, this week, um, Wednesday, the 26th, we have a full moon eclipse in Sagittarius. Mercury and Venus will join up in Gemini, form a conjunction, and both of them square Neptune and Pisces, and Mercury will station retrograde. Mars and Cancer will also trine Neptune and Pisces. And I'm excited to share my delineations of these transits with you this week, um, because it's a potent field that we're in, and I've been collecting you know, just from talking with people, really feeling into the pulse of some common things that people are, are dealing with. And eclipse season is a pretty, um, intense time period. It's a time where, you know, the, the moon either turns red or the moon blocks out the light of the sun and forms like a ring, um, where there was once the whole sun. So to the ancients, eclipses had a kind of ominous energy. And from my perspective, from like the modern kind of psychological perspective, and also the way that I've been working with eclipses for years, um, there's a way that deeper material eclipses or overshadows the normal events of our life. So something is happening, we're living our lives, but there's a deeper emotional or kind of psychic impression that comes along with eclipse season. That can relate to us feeling like we're losing our shit. <laughs> and so to work with eclipse season intentionally is to, you know, stay grounded and kind of stay meditative in that state, and also to feel into what's coming through this portal, what's coming through this wormhole, how are you being awakened? And how can you tune into this deep stillness inside of yourself? that taps you into a deeper layer of truth beyond the the normal just kind of status quo personality and ego programs that we tend to be running, what's happening underneath that. As beings with the capacity for abstract thought and storytelling, we are always making mental sense of who we are and what reality we exist inside of. In Thomas Kuhn's work, on describing paradigm shift as it relates to the scientific community. Um, The mainstream science of the day is also housed in a paradigm or a worldview. You know, I'm reading right now some, a book called Eros and Magic in the Renaissance and the early chapters are describing the way that Early philosophers thought that the soul was inside of the blood, for example. And so just even reading about medical perspectives from previous centuries, you can see that common thinking about how things work in the body changes, right? Like we we enter different paradigms of how we understand ourselves and understand this world. So whatever given paradigm that there is at any given time, it can begin to fracture, break open or change when anomalies appear that cannot fit into the pre-existing paradigm. So I'll leave a link um, in the notes about, you know, it's an article summarizing Kuhn's theory. He has a more full book on it called, you know, something about paradigm and scientific revolution. I'm forgetting the exact title at the moment. At a personal level, we also exist in a paradigm. and this is a paradigm that we call our identity, or it's our personality. you know, our personality is a total paradigm. Um, it's also the way that we've interpreted or organized our personal history, you know, how we tell the story of our life. At this personal level, when we encounter facets of ourselves that don't neatly fit into our past, or current egoic identity, we can either try to assimilate the new information, or we may experience a relative ego death and break through the limitations of that particular personal paradigm, maybe some combination of both. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with how I work with ego, the ego um, is something that you know is located in the natal chart. I work a lot with the lunar nodes as it comes to the ego. The ego is not bad. It's not something to kill off and destroy. It's an interface to be understood. It runs programs that we can mistake for reality instead of it just being a program, filtering a much broader reality. You know that phrase, your personality becomes your personal reality. Some egoic programs hinder our growth and evolution, while other egoic programs may be adaptive or expansive. I hope when I say egoic programs, it makes sense what I'm talking about. Like an example could be... Someone who considers themselves, you know, the kind of person that looks for the silver lining in things or um, is kind of like happy-go-lucky or optimistic, that's an ego type of structure. And it comes with it certain opportunities and consequences, just like someone who um, is really attuned to what's missing all the time and they're always complaining, you know, that's an ego structure as well. And that also filters how they perceive their reality. The more free we are to not identify with the ego programs, but to see ourselves as the being underneath these programs, the more free we are to dress up and dress down accordingly. So, when we use things like affirmations, or we create um, a persona where we step into our best selves, or our higher selves, or our best life—you know—there's ego in that too, and that's not bad. It's it's intentional creativity with the interface. The program that we're running to navigate this reality. Um, the issue is when we don't even realize that our ego is an ego thing. And we just think that it's, you know, what reality is, or we can't see the pattern and we just are experiencing the consequences of that pattern and thinking that it's the rest of the world and nothing to do with us, you know, even though we are everywhere that we go. So this eclipse season, it is likely that there is some personal perspective or belief that we've carried that we are being pressed to let go of. And I'll describe in more detail where I'm getting this idea. Um, Sometimes it takes being depressed or anxious, perhaps, um, and then tracking our thoughts to even realize the parameters of the box that we live in that we're ready to break out of. So I will get into our week with more detail after a few announcements. One, um, do join my mailing list if you're not on it already. That's a way to receive the weekly forecast in written form, as well as the link to the video every week. Um, Also, you'll receive announcements and updates about any special offerings or events. And it's also the first place that I announce when my astrology reading bookings open. Um, sometimes I don't even get to social media because I book up just through the mailing list. So if you want to get a reading with me, that's, um, that's the best way. And another thing I feel like I announced this on social, Maybe I didn't, but I am opening my readings more to current students and past students. So if you've taken the evolutionary astrology intensive or you are currently in it and my books are closed, you can send me an email and it's likely that I'll make an exception. Um, If you're not an existing student and you send me an email, um, I may not be able to get back to you. I'm getting a lot of emails these days about readings and I'm pretty booked up. So I think the best way... You know, I really recommend taking the intensive because it's an opportunity to learn how to speak this language for yourself and source your own transmissions and delineations about astrology in a group of really interesting and fascinating people. The next intensive will be beginning uh, again probably around September. I'm also going to be running a Kickstarter um, like I did last year to crowdfund a year ahead of content creation Uh, This June will mark the beginning of my seventh year of writing weekly forecasts. Um, And then in the last few years, I've added magic of this year's podcast, as well as this YouTube channel and tons of hours, you know, and love goes in every week to this free content. And if it benefits you in any way, like it uh, improves your day, it catalyzes meaningful ideas, it improves the quality of your life, it has value to you, um, please you know, give back, um, with this Kickstarter campaign, there will be a bunch of different cool like rewards, um, or offerings that you can sign up for through the Kickstarter. Um, and you can also, you know, throw in, you know, at the lowest, like $25 for, um, like a video or an audio. I'm, I'm still piecing together what the reward tiers are going to be. Um, but it's, super accessible, you know, no matter what your financial situation is. And so just really consider um, if this content has benefited you, the importance um, of giving back. And let's see, find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch and, you know, big piece of news here. My novel, The Gardens of Sleeping Hammers, um, is out, and I will leave the links in the notes for how you can order um, either a hardcover or paperback version. And if you are connected to the literary community, if you have a platform, if you have a podcast, if you have an Instagram and you want to do an IG Live or something, I'm looking for press. I'm looking for interviews um, about the book. So if you get a copy, um, read it and feel into it, uh, I would really love... Um, to share this work with more people um, and, you know, just have the opportunity to talk about it, talk about the the themes in the book um, around magic and eros and psychiatry and to talk about uh, the craft of writing and things of this nature. So uh, reach out. You can email me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I also have a new episode of Magic of the Spheres podcast this week, Love Addiction with Perry Chase, a super brilliant and powerful teacher. I'm really excited to share this episode with you and um, I'll get back into the forecast now. So on May 26th, 2021, there's a full moon eclipse in five degrees of Sagittarius at 414 a.m. Pacific and um, the rain is super loud. I'm not sure if it's coming through the recording, uh, but I have some beautiful skylights above me, and I can hear the rain on it right now. Pacific Northwest springtime. So, full moon eclipse in five degrees Sagittarius, 4:14 a.m. I may wake up for it to meditate. <laughs> Meditating during the eclipses is my favorite thing to do. Um, I call it eclipsing within and you, you may be surprised, you know, what comes through during an eclipse. So that's why I like to tune in. Eclipse season. So the two week to one month time period leading up to the first of a series of of eclipses, and then two weeks to one month after the last eclipse in a series. So we have a good, good little bit amount of time is generally a dramatic time period. Time is warped. It feels very slow. It feels very fast. Um, There's flashpoint energy and the events that constellate in our life reflect or trigger our soul work in an especially heightened way. The next lunation, a new moon in Gemini on June 10th, will be the second eclipse of this series. And after that, the next lunation on June 24th will not be an eclipse Um, Eclipses are new and full moons, in case you didn't know, that fall on the ecliptic or the lunar nodes. And currently the lunar nodes are in Gemini and Sagittarius. So these Gemini, Sag, um, Lunations, eclipses. Many people have been feeling worked up lately or beset with challenging mental loops. This could be correlated with the Gemini north node. The north node represents themes that are incoming and incarnating onto Earth. On the positive side, Gemini is delightful and effervescent, and it's possible that we've been feeling more open to new experiences or perspectives, You know, trying things a different way, uh, putting new ideas into the conversation, encountering new ideas, things of this nature, being open to seeing where things go when we follow our curiosity, the light side, right? Um, On the other end, one of the core challenges with Gemini experience is monkey mind, scattered consciousness, or these kind of absurd logical structures that we invent with only a few data points. So if this, then that, then that, then that, then that. And suddenly we're just kind of like in a whirlpool of mental mania. And with the fullness of the moon reaching its peak in Sagittarius on the south node, And the south node can represent, you know, both the past and a memory that's being reconstellated as well as what is um, draining or being let go of. When I work with the nodes in the natal chart, the, you know, both nodes are important. We don't just ditch the south node like, oh, that's the past. Fuck that. Like, no, the south node's important, but it's um, it can represent something that We're we're needing to move away from to some degree to move into the north node, um, because that's the teleology of evolution. The south node is where we're coming from. So it's kind of like leaving the nest, not just staying home. But with the fullness of the moon reaching its peak On the south node, these challenging mental loops as represented by the sun on the north node in Gemini could actually be reflecting back to us and we're becoming fully aware like our consciousness is ripening with awareness and vision to our most embedded or historic beliefs, Sagittarius relating to our beliefs and sense of the bigger organizing principles in life, south node again being related to the past. So simply put, you're having a challenging mental loop. It's loud, it's happening. And just the reality of having that loop so exaggerated shows you what you believe about life. You know, it's kind of like being on psychedelics or something and um, seeing your mind in a heightened way or seeing a window into yourself through that holotropic experience, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's that's my shit right there. <laughs> Those are the things that I believe. That's my trauma. That's my pattern. I see it now. You know, it goes from being um, kind of low level in the background to being a loud throbbing pulse of awareness. So you can confront it. Super fun, <laughs> right? Uh, this eclipse occurs in the ongoing context always catch typos here so the eclipse occurs in the ongoing context of the Saturn Uranus square zeitgeist I have a link you know a video on this channel about the Saturn Uranus square of 2021 that I'll also leave below lots of you know links and like research opportunities for you this week more than usual it's probably Gemini season Um, But the Saturn-Uranus square is a transit that relates to major life impasses and paradigm shift. Saturn relates to convention, history, and the collected accumulation of cause and effect. It is bones, architecture, structure. Saturn relates to our conformity needs and the pressures we internalize to fit in and be normal. Uranus relates to breaking free from the known, on the other hand, paradigm shift, invention, extremeness, extremism, weirdness. It is the radical, the revolutionary, the rebel, the mad scientist, the inventor, the rock star, the iconoclast. Uranus relates to our needs to individuate and live according to our unique blueprint as freely as possible more aware of social conditioning and able to navigate it as a free agent. You know, the the storyline of the person who is really enmeshed in the corporate world and then breaks free from it and finds their, you know, unique dharma or particular life path is a very Saturn Uranus story. It's like in the, the matrix of, the, of a more conventional setting Saturn and feeling the like, th- I've got to break out of this Uranus and do my own thing. Right. Um, You can go the other way around too. like someone who's uh, just wants to be an artist and they're like, well, how am I going to make this work in terms of a lifestyle and in terms of making money? So they go to Saturn to figure out how to standardize it or be strategic about what they're doing in the world so that they can uh, survive, get paid, live a life kind of things. The Saturn-Uranus square relates to a current pressure to be free from the most limiting paradigms we have cooked inside of. Breakthrough tends to occur only by fully experiencing the blockage. The structure or container that used to hold us or hold our reality simply becomes a limitation. Subjectively, it feels like rattling against a cage. I can't stand this anymore energy, or I don't want to keep doing this thing over and over again energy. I don't want to be this way anymore energy. I don't want to put up with this anymore kind of energy, like caginess. Yeah. So back to the eclipse itself, when we find ourselves in monkey mind or in challenging mental loops, the kinds of thoughts we are having actually reflect a kind of cosmological container that we're existing inside of. You know, you're rattling against the cage until you realize that the cage is even there and that there's something beyond it. We are creators here and our beliefs, Sagittarius, and our words and mental concepts, Gemini, influence the reality that we co-create. If we believe at any, you know, subconscious or conscious level that, you know, believe in our powerlessness, our victimhood, our inability to materialize our dreams, etc., We are essentially participating with that. You know, do you ever do a audit of all your limiting beliefs? The thing that you want, but feel like you can't have and why you think you can't have it. At some point, a more free part of ourselves, so you're honest, is wanting to break through the prison we have made for ourselves. So if the mind is allied with beliefs that reflect our powerlessness, our victimhood, things of this nature, we will naturally feel worked up and emotionally challenged by it. Now, here's the thing. Just because we suddenly realize we're in a cage doesn't mean we have the answer right away. And I think that herein is a type of discomfort that we may often try to run away from, like to kind of suppress it or dole it or soothe it instead of facing the issue at hand. So an opening within all of this is to confront a truth that is emerging at every step of our access to this truth being uncovered. Under immense mental or emotional pressure, it is natural to try to soothe, escape, fix. But what about being radically present with what's true in the moment? We can do all sorts of acrobatics to adjust to non-true situations, pump ourselves up with extra caffeine to adjust to a routine or a lifestyle that doesn't really match our constitution uh, chameleon and people please to maintain connections from a place of inauthenticity. Rationalize our own behavior to avoid taking responsibility for change, etc. Um, and then there are, comes a time when all of that mental processing, designed to simply maintain something false and keep us in a, a state of kind of decay, quite honestly... All of these things fly around our mind chaotically, like the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz or something, rattling against the cage of our limited perspective that we've chosen to believe in, where we've had resistance to believing in something broader or more full of possibility for us. So, I mean, let's take the example of chameleoning in love. Working really hard to manicure ourselves to be perfect, to say the right things, to do the right things, to please a particular person because we believe that if we were our true selves, then we wouldn't be loved. Right? Like there's a belief implicit in that behavior of manicuring and trying to be perfect or trying to um, please someone else. And it might, you know, it's going to be unique for you what this thing is, but where are you scrambling if you are, if you do have mental loops coming up, what are the beliefs that hold that up? Sometimes these things are hard to see by ourselves, you know, which is why I really like to work with coaches. Um, I'm like years deep into that path and we'll be opening my, um, opening spots for working with me in that way soon too. But yeah, I think it's important to get perspective on some of these things uh, because it can be hard to see. Of course, there are certain ways that we have access to doing our own shadow work. um, And simply even just being very honest and tracking ourselves and our motivations um, can go really far. But speaking of perfection, it's not that we have to be perfect. Finding our way into an authentic resonance and embodiment of our truth is often messy and full of ups and downs. It's just that in this moment, we may likely be confronting the mental structures we have adopted to rationalize things that aren't true. And this shows up often as anxiety or depression. In nearly all cases, a full acceptance of where we are at oh i do this thing or i believe this limiting reality etc accepting this makes way to choose something else seeing it accepting it i do this thing right not running at every turn to avoid that awareness you may not be able to just slap an affirmation or a new belief on top of the old one if it still has all this power. Like if you go straight to affirmation work or creativity without a little bit of shadow work in there too, and you're kind of working on top of a structure that you're afraid to look at what's underneath, right? It's when you sink into what's happening at a deeper, more embodied level, it can go, it can be released. Now, I do have a practice of identifying my limiting beliefs and rewriting them. It's kind of like as a creative writer or something, editing my own writing. When I look at my limiting beliefs and work to edit them, I don't edit them in a way that I can't believe. I incrementally work myself into a new worldview in a way that I can get down with, right? Right. I find my way into the bigger world. So there's some negotiation around really being able to be with the old thing by witnessing it fully with self-compassion and making a way into a new chapter of your own story with greater authorship and creativity once you've acknowledged that blaring impasse that you normally try to run and hide away from. So in closing, have fun. (laughs) It's such a, uh, you know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I feel like eclipses are really, um, I mean, it can be fun if you can find the comedy in it, but I think there is a sense with eclipses of the inner dragons, you know, these deeper forces in you that we so often try to run away from because it's scary to look at it and just being like everything is kind of constellating and cooking and the pressure is on, to actually face these things and to um, evolve in that process. So, May twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, Venus in twenty two degrees of Gemini will square Neptune in twenty two degrees of Pisces, at twelve twenty five p.m. Pacific. The Venus-Neptune contact relates to our deepest longings for love and for idyllic manifestations of paradise in our life, the home and garden, the perfect love, the adoration and fame, the art, you know, whatever it is, that is your kind of dream. With Venus and Gemini squaring Neptune, this is a first quarter phase square which relates to the evolutionary need for new action. Making choices, trying things as opposed to doing nothing because one is still trying to get ready. So pretty simple. If there's a a fantasy or a kind of inspiration that's calling you and you're kind of in this perpetual place of getting ready for it, this may be a moment where something new is clicking in around, well, maybe I can actually take a step toward this dream. One possible thing emerging here could be the choice that we make to embody the paradise that we seek or to make love to the divine. I mean, literally. um, Having a practice of Being with the divine in your whole life or in like tantric practice, instead of waiting for the form of eros that we long for to materialize outside of us, playing with that energy and discovering our innate connection to it through our own play. You know, and the alternative is getting really externally focused and longing for something or someone and feeling, um, this kind of torment, uh, with that and that sense of the unrequited or, uh, that unbearable distance. And while there's a kind of poetry and romanticism in a way that I think we can like get off to that, like, it's like such a, mm, there's like a sexiness of it, of like wanting something and having to wait or whatever, but it can get to some pretty extreme places. I feel like, um, especially as I'm reading this book right now, Eros and magic in the Renaissance, they're talking about like an actual medical condition that, you know, from the medical paradigm back in the, the 12th century and stuff around the madness that people would have when they were experiencing attraction and they couldn't focus on anything else. Um, I think that, A lot of us, when we get to that level of intense um, adoration or kind of worship of the form in which sparks our erotic longing, that sometimes we keep getting farther and farther away because we've lost touch with that source within us or the way that we have a connection to that source and project far too much that the source is external And so it's this weird kind of paradox that the more that we love ourselves, the more that we create this paradise within, the more our external environment reflects it, even if it may be, um, being excited about another person, for example, that starts the whole awakening journey. And even if that's kind of like the end thing that we're wanting is relationship or partnership, but that journey of like self-love or being love, um, that would get us there. May 28th, Venus and 24 degrees of Gemini conjunct Mercury and 24 degrees of Gemini, love Venus Mercury, uh, 1013 PM Pacific. Venus-Mercury contacts relate to a greater sensitivity for the harmonics and musicality, so Venus, of mercurial things like communications, language, commerce, and making connections. As well as the mental register and organization, Mercury, of Venusian things like relationship or beauty, like the part of us that knows the mechanics of really listening or facilitating a good conversation, right? Those are technical skills, not just intuitive things, Um, or the part of us that knows how to rearrange the furniture in a room for the room to be really open and pleasing, Venus-Mercury conjunctions can be a supportive time for generating or contacting beautiful thoughts and ideas. Again, like I was reading last night, this book on Eros and just reading for pleasure. And I was like, I can't believe I've gone this long. And I don't know how long it is really. Um, Being really a lot more focused on reading for a different kind of objective and not just reading because I'm seduced by the book or the words and how much that... um, is fulfilling to me, you know? And I think that if this is made a habit beyond this transit, just in general, when we contact beautiful thoughts, when we make time for gratitude, when we make time for poetry and for delightful thoughts and aesthetic thinking, right? To feel like a garden in our own mind, uh, we cultivate a certain familiarity with beauty that impacts every area of our life. To think sensitively and harmonically creates a chain of cause and effect that can be living art. And I go in and out of remembering this, but whenever I find a good book, I remember it all over again. May 29th, 2021, Mercury stations retrograde in 24 degrees of Gemini at 3.34 p.m. Pacific. Mercury will station direct again on June 22nd and leave post-retrograde shadow on July 7th. So leaving shadow just means Mercury. Oh, we got disconnected. (laughs) Okay. That was weird. We got disconnected. Uh, (laughs) Right as I'm talking about Mercury retrograde. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't even want to go there, (laughs) but I will. Um, It's funny because I I always stand up for Mercury retrograde where I'm like, people make too big a deal out of it. But, you know, it does do little annoying tech things oftentimes. I hope (laughs) I hope we can keep going. Okay, so Mercury stationing while also square to Neptune has some potential to feel disorienting. At any level that we already give ourselves permission to be fluid, impressionistic, intuitive, mystical, you know, thinkers in this way, the energy of Mercury square Neptune may be familiar to us. However, we may also be rethinking retrograde some of our more imaginative perspectives or feeling like we normally experience, what we normally experience as concrete seems a bit shiftier. Like zoom, going in and out. Uh, by turning merc- or by turning retrograde, Mercury will dip out of the first quarter square to Neptune and go back into a crescent phase square to Neptune. Certain kind of you know jargon phases you know matter a lot to me, and I teach them. But if you follow, um, this can symbolize that. If we are diffuse or confused in our thinking, that rather than taking scrambled action to reflect that, of like, I'm confused and let me do something to fix it, like coming from a scrambled, freaked out place, um, that we might put our energy into finding our center again instead. There's a felt difference between panic and inspiration. So coming back to center, finding the inspiration, then taking action. We might find that appropriate steps for our situation emerge when we connect inward, even if that means we have to slow down. Now, we may not always have time on our side like that, but I think that generally um, finding our way to center more often than not um, builds a certain capacity to act quickly when that is what is needed and to slow down when being non-reactive you know, is what is needed. In general, Mercury retrograding through Gemini can be an opportunity to consider a variety of perspectives, as per Gemini's MO. I've been thinking lately about how some people can have like identity crises, for example, when they switch from house systems, like, say, whole to porphyry. Planets they normally think are in the fourth house move to the fifth, for example, then they aren't sure which one is true or who they are in that system. When the thing is, these different house systems are just different lenses, which don't necessarily cancel each other out. You know, like the way that I work a lot with astrological symbols is not to give them such objective meaning in their own right, but to feel how they resonate in my body and how I relate to them and what images and thoughts and feelings and resistances come up because that's self-knowledge. I don't outsource my self-knowledge to the astrology map. The astrology map is a ally for me to deepen my knowledge. So the map, you know, you aren't your chart. Your chart is a map back to you. And another way to put this is that the same city might be represented by a plethora of different maps. One like a thermal map, another a street and neighborhood map, another an elevation map. The different lenses only reveal different data points and therefore a different window or facet into understanding the essence of something. Take the example of understanding yourself from your own perspective, from the perspective you have of yourself deep in meditation, from the perspective you have of yourself from how your parents reflect you, to how your partner reflects you, to how your colleagues reflect you, and so on. Like... You have your own internal experience, but you also are reflected by these other lenses. The magic is in allowing these different perspectives to reveal to us where we find resonance or even a perspective that stirs and awakens us, awakens something in us and being with the spontaneous emergence of awareness here and not just the more boring question of Well, which is the most true? As though reality is that single pointed. So I think Gemini can really point us to that capacity and sometimes the need to juggle different perspectives um, or to synthesize knowings from different worlds. While we might prefer a lens or have a strong opinion or perspective, the capacity to consider a variety of angles can be a counterbalance to being rigid or dogmatic. And then to counter that, um, you may consider as well, if there are places you aren't really available or willing to entertain other perspectives, like having people in your inner circle who disrespect you or don't see your value or actively don't support the things that light you up. Right. And then alternately, you may have people in your life, you know, where you do have an amazing reciprocity and respect and mutuality. And if they challenge you, you you listen, it matters, but they're not just at a default, not resonating with you, right? Um, Consider, considering a variety of perspectives does not need to be synonymous with draining your life force with diversions that you don't really care about. Even if that means you run the risk of being fucking opinionated, right? Um, Having a strong perspective, like maybe that's who you're here to be. Um, not being available for annoying detours goes with things like not being available for conversations with people playing devil's advocate on your social media comments um, or interfacing with trolls. You know, like know what detours aren't for you. May 30th, 2021, Mars in 23 degrees of cancer will try Neptune in 23 degrees of Pisces at 1015 p.m. Mars and Cancer brings heat and activation, so Mars, uh, to the emotional body, Cancer, resulting in having more fierce emotional waves or being more emotionally reactive. Again, fun. <laughs> and it can be if we play with it, um, not if we have such a deep resistance to feeling out of control um, or feeling, yeah, yeah, simply put, out of control. In the spirit of Mars being about courage, the opportunity here is to actually face and be with our emotions as opposed to running away, you know, also a Martian thing, facing or running, Uh, running away by soothing, Mars and Cancer. At certain levels of our process, soothing is okay and does support survival and homeostasis. But when we have the strength and feel ready, we can confront the deeper thing, The trine to Neptune here suggests that we are more sensitive and receptive and open and permeable to this Martian influence now, as well as that our sensitivity and permeability, Neptune, is emphasized, sensitive. Um, I went down a Madeline Moon rabbit hole the other day and was super entranced. She has um, all of these videos about making art and tussling with the wounds and frustrations that come up in relationship with play. Um, as opposed to being passive, aggressive, or shutting down the heart. So you can watch her reels on Instagram uh, for the transmission of what I'm referring to. I'll leave uh, the link. And I also watched her workshop on um, artistic intimacy, and I was blown away. I'll leave the link for that too. A huge byproduct. Um, of the patriarchal conditioning that we have, you know, likely experienced here is that we don't approve of our emotions. You know, we can shame them and try to control them. We may preemptively get a grip on them by subjugating them or trying to kill them instead of actually moving with them and going through them all the way. You know, there's a difference between being from a place of inner authority and being like, I'm not going here today like I don't give that kind of power to this process or something if we have a certain emotional or mental boundary. There's ways that that can be. There's also ways that we're simply too overwhelmed by the content that from a more contracted place, we you know shut it down, try to control it, try to like squelch it. Um, and that level of resistance just makes the thing even more intense. And then there's, you know, the deep inner child healing and self-love and self-care praxis of finding a way to relate to our emotions um, and to feel kind of like we're really with ourselves in life um, and not, you know, just trying to put ourselves in a room and say, behave and stop crying, stop feeling that. I'm only going to love and connect with you when you calm the fuck down kind of thing. Um, I don't approve of you right now. I need to change you like a kind of just way that we um, internalize that kind of distrust of the the unruliness or the kind of non-linearity or the mystery of Emotions. A profound opening can be found in really being with our emotional content and channeling it in some way that's creative, not splitting off from it, but playing with the fire and the intensity of our aliveness. A lot of this can be inner child process, finding a way to be radically present and compassionate with our distress and find the spontaneous play available here in the question of how can we move this energy together? So another you know beautiful thing that can come of this type of presence is um being able to keep the heart open in in vulnerability and being able to operate with an open heart um as opposed to feeling threatened by the emotions and then kind of shutting down or lashing out or pushing away right and sometimes from a heart open place we might uh disconnect in a situation that's not appropriate for us or it's not honoring of um, ourselves to continue that particular connection, for example. So being open isn't about being a martyr or not having boundaries, right? Um, So there's a, I think, really quite like an art form or sensitivities or subtleties around navigating life with an open heart, not being shut down, but also um, protecting our vulnerability in the ways that it needs to be protected. May 31st, the sun in 10 degrees of Gemini will be conjunct the lunar North Node in 10 degrees of Gemini at 512 PM Pacific. The sun on the north node symbolizes a massive influx of radiance, though I do think there's a degree that we would need to participate and choose that. One of the strongest images in my field as I consider this transit is being a kid on a playground. The environment is essentially a choose your own adventure, and all you have to do is go and play. To the degree that we look at the playground and aren't sure what to do with it, It's like how we look at the current experiences of our life and aren't sure how to play with them. The less conditioned we allow our mind to be, while also recognizing the types of games being played and what the actual rules of these games are, the more we find novel ways to engage the world around us. You might try on purpose to think of new ways that you can play and improvise with what you've got. I think there really is some kind of joyous spontaneity with the sun and Gemini on the North node. And I hope that what I just shared kind of sinks in, or there's a kind of sense of a a lens clicking of where in your life, is there an opportunity to, um, play with the environment or play with the circumstances in a more novel or creative way and less, um, less rigid or tracked kind of way where, um, yeah, something new and unexpected perhaps gets to emerge. So thank you for listening, bearing with the few technical things. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch and the thing that I forgot to say earlier, and I hope that, yeah, I mean, if you're still here watching this, thank you. Um, like this video and leave a comment. Let me know what you think or what you resonated with and how your eclipse season is going. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm excited to be back. Um, I, you know, aim to be back now, done with the hiatus. Um, It was a lot. It was a lot with moving and just kind of having um, so much, so much paperwork and so many spinning plates all at once that it really did help to take some time off. But I'm happy to be back here. Um, I hope that um what I've shared is helpful for navigating this eclipse season, and I hope that um, you're feeling hmm, connected to your inner center um, and that this time is as easeful and blessed. that it is easeful and blessed. right see you next time